Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hi, and welcome to Location Matters. My name's Sarah Butler, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I'm really happy to be delving a little bit deeper into um, the work of EO Data Science, uh, Google Earth Engine, and the Group on Earth Observations, and the projects that we've been telling you about over the last nine to 10 months here on the podcast. So the GOGEE program has identified a range of different projects to help fund and provide training to as they address some of the biggest issues facing our planet. In today's podcast, um, we are, like I said, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. We've told you about some of the projects, but we haven't actually had anybody on the podcast yet who is from a project team to tell you about their projects themselves. So today we do have two very important people dialing in from opposite sides of the globe as well. So thank you, technology, for allowing us to be able to do this. Um, But before I introduce them, I want to introduce my co-host and colleague, Yvonne Fong. So she works at EO Data Science and she's really first and foremost the main contact person for all of our GOGEE project winners in terms of support and training um, and just day-to-day questions. So Yvonne, thank you once again for being on the podcast with us. Can you just remind everybody who mightn't have heard um, you on our last podcast about this, who you are and what you do and what makes you tick? Thanks, Sarah. Very happy to be here. Um, Yeah, so I'm a data scientist with uh, EO Data Science and um, our role in this is providing support for all 32 projects in the GOGEE program. Um, and I'm very excited to hear from our guests about their projects on this podcast. Awesome. Thank you. So I was going to start um, on well, the opposite side of the world to me, which is in Berlin, Germany. We have Dimos Triganos joining us from there. Dimos, um, would you like to introduce yourself to our Location Matters listeners and tell us where you're from, um, you know, your job title, what you do, um, and a little bit maybe, um, yeah, just briefly about um, why you're here today. We're going to get into the crux of your project in just a little bit more time. Sure. Thank you, Sarah. Very happy to be part of the podcast as well. Thank you for the kind invitation um, to discuss my work. So I'm Dimos Raganos. I'm originally from Greece. I'm working as a scientist in the German Aerospace Center here in Berlin, Germany. I'm now leading a small but great team of four people within the so-called Global Seagrass Watch project, which is supported by both the German Aerospace Center and, of course, the GOGE program. My background is in geology and oceanography, and my expert, uh, expertise through my PhD lies within uh, coastal aquatic earth observation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, And now we'll jump over to you, Nick. This is Nick Murray um, joining us from Townsville in Queensland. Nick. Hi, Sarah. Hi, hi everyone. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. It's great great to be here. Uh, My name is Nick Murray. I am a senior lecturer um, and ARC research fellow at James Cook University up here in Townsville. My work is mostly focused on understanding global change and how the world's um, ecosystems are changing in response to increasing uh, human pressures. That means I use a lot of remote sensing methods to to understand how the world is changing Um, and I combine them often with with different modeling approaches such as time series models and and simulation models so that we can get an understanding of, of how we think the world might be in the future. Awesome. And I'd love to um, 
dive into your project a little bit more, Nick, while we've got you talking about it. So you're the lead, um, the project lead rather, for the online mapping platform Remap. And that was launched in 2018. And what I've been told is that it's already been used by over 20,000 people. Could you tell our listeners about the Remap tool and why it was created? Sure. Remap was funded by uh, Google Earth Engine, their research awards back in 2016, I think we first received that funding. Um, Through my work with the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, we repeatedly found that that maps are just incredibly critical for understanding uh, change and loss of ecosystems around the world. Uh, But unfortunately, this this amazing approach to understand change, which is uh, remote sensing and remote sensing classification to develop maps, has tended to be in the the hands of um, academic scientists or government scientists and generally requires a lot of skill to be able to go from not having a map for a region all the way through to having something that can inform environmental conservation planning, um, environmental management, or, or even just understand that the rates of loss and, and locations of ecosystem loss um, around the place. And so what we did was realize that the machine learning algorithms we're using to, to develop maps from earth observation data these days are incredibly robust. And for 90% of the problems, um, we end up using a pretty similar classification method and we end up using a pretty similar set of uh, environmental covariates in the form of satellite images. Um, We tried to reduce that difficult problem of developing maps from Earth observation data um, to the most simple problem you could possibly do. Um, We wanted users who need maps and need information about an environmental change um, to be able to get online and basically run the sorts of classifications we spend months making. Um, that means from, from not ever making a map to being able to develop a good map should take less than 10 minutes. And um, luckily for us, we can now use Google Earth Engine to do this. So, so Remap is the platform that allows people to do that. And it's been used all over the world to make local scale maps of uh, ecosystems and land cover. That's fantastic work that you're doing, Nick, um, and, and a very important project for people around the world to be able to monitor the extent of um, ecosystem loss and try to prevent that. The um, most as well, if we, we can dive in a bit to your project now, um, I know you are kind of contributing to the same, same cause of uh, biodiversity and climate change with your Global Seagrass Watch project. Can you tell us a bit more about your project? Sure, Bonnie. Thank you. Um, so within the context of the Global Seagrass Watch project, which is funded by the German Aerospace Center through um, a technology marketing funding for two years, we would really like to develop and commercialize um, a mapping mo- and monitoring service like Nix, um, which will be entirely in the cloud uh, within the Google Earth Engine platform. And that will mainly target uh, to map and monitor seagrasses and also, and mainly the uh, related global health, uh, their distribution, um, their carbon stocks, water quality, and bathymetry. Um, My team and I are using mainly earth observation, modern earth observation advances, like uh, powerful cloud computing, of course, of Google Earth Engine, open satellite data, uh, artificial intelligence, like Nix project, of course, this is so crucial to um, try to understand patterns at the global scale. And we combine all of this modern uh, earth observation 
advances with open and publicly available uh, field data. These are important to um, develop relationships between the satellite pixels, of course, and the way things are distributed naturally. Um, now, our ultimate aim through this project is to be able to provide uh, all this mapping data to a number of interested parties to the, to the data, like governments, uh, policymakers, and of course, scientists. And that will be crucial to develop uh, and enhance the role of coastal nature-based solutions like seagrasses to um, climate change, to biodiversity loss, um, sustainable development, and that will be through a plethora of multilateral environmental agreements, um, like the Paris Agreement the, and the National Determined Contributions, the Sustainable Development Goals, and similar, um, similar agreements. Um, finally, I'm very happy to um, also inform you now that we'll soon kick off um, mapping efforts across the territorial waters of Seychelles. Um, and that will be with an exciting consortium of partners uh, to map seagrasses and their associated carbon stocks and to inform the national determined contribution of state cells within the context of Paris Agreement. So I'm really excited to, to be part of this project and um, yeah, looking forward to that. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us um, today, Demos. That's really exciting. And you're both doing such important work, both Nick and Demos. And I'm so glad that, you know, this option in, in the GOGEE program is available to support you um, in these projects. And to think that there are 32 amazing groups following up on these wonderful initiatives is really comforting to know. But I'd like to um, think back and rewind about a year and a half or so. Back in the end of 2018, I know Nathan Eaton, the director of EO Data Science, went to Canberra for a conference. Uh, Rebecca Moore was there from Google Earth. Um, all of the team, Gilberto, was there from GEO, and they announced that this was going to be, um, that the GOGE program was going to be launched and really detailed what support would be provided. Um, Demos, at the time, um, when you heard about the project back then, um, what compelled you to apply for this? Did you Was the support there for you before? Um, what was it about this program that made you apply? So um, when I first read about the project, I got an email from my supervisor who said back then that it would be a good idea for me to apply. Um, that was nearly three months into the Global Seagrass Watch project. So we didn't even have another, you know, a second person working in the project apart from me. And then I thought, okay, there are many boxes that are picked. So yeah, I'm gonna go for that. And then in in the process of writing and submitting and being accepted, I realized that there is crucial technical support provided by both Google and of course Ebony and the EO data science team that will help us uh, really refine our all of our technological advances and our mapping project product uh, within the cloud. And the second reason was the fact that we would be able to use the communication channels of the group of on-earth observations of Google and of your data science to, to disseminate uh, what we do um, and what we develop. So really our mapping service and products to um, as much as possible global um, user base. Um, so yeah, we envisage that this whole um, synergy of communication channels, technical support, and 
technical development will allow us to uh, reach scientists, industrial partners, um, as I mentioned, policymakers and governments to uh, streamline um, streamline as much as high uh, impact of, of our services. Absolutely. And, and Nick, what compelled you to apply for the program? And your team, rather. <laughs> you and your team. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess for us and the REMAP project, we, we'd already developed REMAP um, and delivered it at, at that time. And so what really attracted us to, to the GEO project was an opportunity to, to reach um, a, a group of potential users that, that have um, the ability to really impact policy and decision-making. You know, GEO is a, is a, a global-scale partnership um, of various um, actors, I guess, that can use the sorts of information that, that we can provide. And that, that was sort of the fundamental initial sort of aim of joining the program. But since joining the program, yeah, we, we've gotten great assistance in, um, in some of the technical aspects of this type of remote sensing. Um, we've been able to, working with um, the, the EA data science team and with, with the Google team, um, secure more space on, on Earth Engine, which is really useful for us to be able to deploy bigger and, and better models and have more data layers in, in our system. But yeah, more, more than anything, it's been just an, an opportunity to, to get Remap out there to a user group that, that we might otherwise not have been able to, um, to impact. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, like you said, like partnering with Geo and, and Google... Um, Earth Engine or Google, Google Earth Outreach team is really powerful. It shows that, you know, you've got strong partners and, you know, that are really well developed in this space. They're thought leaders and they're backing you. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. Um, but both of you mentioned about the support piece coming from EO Data Science. And Yvonne, I'm just wondering if you can elaborate on that, the type of support that EO Data Science is providing. Is it more or less the same, same for everybody? Or is it kind of tailored differently depending on what the project is? Can you elaborate? Yeah, sure. So um, EO Data Science, we are providing support um, in a, a couple of different aspects. So firstly, there's capacity building. We've been running um, a series of Google Earth Engine courses for all of the projects. So I know Nick and Demos themselves um, are pretty advanced users of, of Earth Engine, but I think that the training courses have benefited some of the members from their project um, as well. Um, another thing is um, technical support. So this is specific support um, for each project whenever they might run into an issue or problem. They can send us a support ticket. Um, we, we do face-to-face -face consultations as well with them um, to try and help them overcome the hurdles and, and achieve the impact that they set out to um, do with their projects. Um, there's, there's also the funding aspect. So EO Data Science seed funded um, all of the projects with um, just just a bit to get them started with using um, Google Cloud Platform services like like the AI platform, Google Cloud Storage, uh, Compute Engine, um, and we've managed to get support from Google as well, so the projects can apply for additional cloud credits on a case by case basis. Yeah, and we we try to provide opportunities for the projects to connect as well. So either via the the training courses or we did have a virtual meetup in December last year as well, um, where the projects got to hear from each other what, what other projects were doing. Um, and because some of the projects are working on pretty similar themes, um, I think it, that was a good opportunity for some of them to connect with each other. And I think some potential collaborations have arised out of it as well. Yeah, and last but not least, there's the, there's the marketing and communications aspect, which 
led by our amazing marketing team, led by you, Sarah. So things like this podcast, um, and we also have a fortnightly GOGE blog on our website as well, where um, you guys can go and read out more about Nick and Demos's projects on, on there. So yeah, this, these are all the various aspects of support that your data science is providing. Shameless plug there for the NJS group marketing team. Thank you, Yvonne. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We, well, I mean, we enjoy it, right? Like, we really enjoy writing about all these projects. It's really inspiring. Um, you know, sometimes when you get all wrapped up in the technology of something, things can start to feel a bit beige. You know, it's not until you see that science being applied to real world problems and starting to see the outcomes of that, you're like, man, this is so exciting. So, you know, it's our pleasure to be a part of this with you guys, um, Dimos and Nick. Um, my team, we just get to read about all the wonderful things you're doing and we have the pleasure of communicating that, but you guys are the ones doing all the hard work. So so it's really great and I'm really glad we're all talking here today and I would love to um, just once again go a little bit deeper in terms of each of your projects and I want to start with you, Nick, and talk about how people use Remap. Has there been any particularly interesting use cases of Remap that you've seen or anything that you haven't anticipated that you've seen now? Uh, yeah, there have. I mean, we developed Remap to, to basically have no barrier to use um, because the aim of it was for um, promoting environmental conservation. So we don't track users or anything like that. Anyone can get on it and use it without fear of um, having their name recorded or anything like that. So we don't actually track exactly what people do with it. We know if someone's used it, but through, through the grapevine, through feedback um, that we get by emails and through seeing which scientific papers have been published using Remap. Maybe the, the three most interesting ones for me, I was really surprised to see it get picked up in universities to teach remote sensing and even in high schools. It's, um, it's a really quick and easy way for anyone who's never really conceptualized how you go about making a map from Earth observation data to just go ahead and have a go at it. You know, 10 minutes for a, for a year nine student at school to be able to do what used to take people like Demos and me and, and you guys as well, um, maybe three months to do. Um, that's been really, really pleasing, I think. Secondly, it was used for a project that, that I was involved in actually assessing the status of all of Myanmar's ecosystems. Um, so we've just finished that project, but Remap was used by the Myanmar Forestry Department to develop training data and run the classifications that ended up with the first map of ecosystems, of terrestrial ecosystems for all of Myanmar. And that, up, up until a couple of months ago, I should say, was going to be used for, um, for environmental uh, legislation and, and also for enforcement as well. And then maybe from the scientific basis, the sort of most interesting time I've seen it pop up was, was it being cited as a, as a potential use for identifying untouched tribes in the Amazon. Someone developed a classification of earth observation data where they, they trained it on recently contacted tribes and then tried to find the places in the Amazon where other untouched tribes might be. And I thought that was a really neat neat use of, um, of mapping technology such as Remap and, um, and classifications of satellite imagery. That's really awesome, Nick. Um, great to hear that Remap is being used in all these different interesting use cases um, in different aspects. Demos, let's talk about um, a bit more about your project. You mentioned using satellite imagery um, to derive bathymetry. Can you tell us more about that? Um, maybe perhaps even explain bathymetry for listeners who may not know? So bathymetry is really the, the height of the water column between the seabed, the distance, the vertical distance between the seabed and the water surface, we can really map 
bathymetry from space, and there have been techniques since the 70s uh, which have uh, really seen advances in the last five years because of all the um, multitude of modern Earth observation advances that we are really lucky to, to have around. Um, and these are, of course, open satellite data, uh, artificial intelligence, and cloud computing. And we can map bathymetry by developing um, both empirical and artificial intelligence uh, relationship between uh, satellite data pixels, so essentially color, and field collected, um, or even more lately, satellite-based bathymetric, bathymetric measurements. Um, there have been techniques which are also automatically uh, retrieving bathymetry. And these are collaborators from the Allen Coral Atlas project, which we might have the opportunity to discuss uh, later on, because I had the pleasure to collaborate with Nick um, within the context of this project. And you can really map bathymetry where there has been, um, you know, interaction of light from the sun with the seabed and that has been sensed by satellites. And that means essentially that you cannot really uh, map something that you cannot see well. Um, and that's uh, a general uh, law in remote sensing. Now, waters uh, of depths up to 10 to 15 meters, we can map them in tropical coastal waters that can go up to 35 to 40 meters in the clearest uh, water columns um, globally like the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. I would also like to mention here that uh, more recently in a, a collaboration with NASA, we were able to develop a cloud-based algorithm to map bathymetry. That was done um, for one of the first times in a purely spaceborne fashion. And what purely spaceborne fashion means is that we combined um, data only um, remotely sensed so open optical data from Sentinel-2 and open spaceborne LiDAR data from ISAT-2, which is uh, a spaceborne LiDAR sensor developed by NASA, which was found to be able to really get uh, retrievals not only for ice and you know, ice height or ice velocity, but also from the planetary at the planetary seabed, and that's um, that was really an exciting moment in, in recent science in our field. Fantastic, um, and just just a bit of a follow up question as well. Um, just interested to know how far from the coast have you been able to to detect and classify seagrass? Yeah, so I think it's more important to discuss how 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 deep uh, because that that will depend, of course, on the you know on the structure of the coast. On, on bathymetry and on a number of things like uh, floating algae, uh, water pollution, eutrophication in the waters uh, globally. So it depends really on the on the geomorphology of the coastline and of the different habitats that we are mapping, how far we can go. But off the top of my mind, we can reach up to maybe 20, 25 kilometers, but that will really depend on yeah, how large or how small is the slope of the, um, of the seabed. So that really determines how far we can go. How interesting. I'm, yeah, that, that is really cool. I was thinking that too. I was like, yeah, when I saw the question about like how, 
how far off the coast can you map? And I hadn't even considered the depth. But then again, I'm not a scientist, guys, and I'm feeling very out of my depth, speaking of depth, but thank you. Um, I want to hear more about how you two know each other. I didn't know that Nick and, and Demos, you'd both worked together at some point before. So Nick, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a small world we, we occupy. Um, Demos and I, I guess we first started working together um, as a, as a new project that's a couple of years old now was spooling up and that, that was the Alan, Alan Coral Atlas, um, a brand new big effort to put coral reefs on the map globally, develop um, high quality maps of, um, of benthic cover types and, and geomorphic cover types. And, and Demos and I got asked to join that project from different angles, I think. I, I got brought on to help scale the problem of how, how do you actually implement remote sensing classifications at the global scale. So I worked a lot with the team at, at University of Queensland, Christoph Semmer and Stuart Finn, um, Mitch Lyons down at the University of New South Wales, and, and a lot of other people are involved in that project as well. Um, to take what sort of was, was the current cutting edge at the time of, of how you map coral reefs and, and just work out how do you do it like orders and orders of magnitude bigger in, in extent. Um, so I joined that and, and Dimas, I'll, I'll get you to, to introduce your component of that, which is like e equally neat, I think. And, and I guess that was what, three years ago now. So yeah, I had the pleasure to um, be invited as well by the same group of people and scientists, uh, which uh, have been a great inspiration during my own PhD uh, in, in for seagrass mapping. So Chris Welsma and Stuart Finn, their team has really paved the way for all um, modern advances and progress in seagrass mapping and, and coral mapping, of course, during the last uh, 20 years. Um, so that's a really exciting global mapping project for coral reefs. And for the first time, one project is trying to, you know, develop seamless approaches for mapping underwater habitats at the global scale. So that's a great challenge. Um, and my role in the team was, and project was to develop validation and confidence metrics uh, within the cloud environment to really validate and certify. Um, the various geomorphological and benthic mapping products um, that the Allen Coral, Coral team was developing. And such measurements of accuracy um, can really understand, um, can really lead us to a greater understanding of the mapping product and, you know, of the various uncertainties and can really lead to uh, improving, um, improving the algorithms that the team was using. Also, uh, the minimization of such uh, uncertainties certainly leads to more advanced mapping of the health and condition and various, um, you know, valuable ecosystem services of corals. And um, my participation in this project uh, was a great inspiration and assistant towards my own project, the Global Seagrass World Project. And I think what the Allen Coral Atlas team is doing and what Nick is doing with his uh, global uh, intertidal work are a great inspiration, not only for me, but uh, for many years to come in, in field of coastal aquatic earth observation. Really important work, guys, and, um, you know, of habitat that deserves to be monitored and protected at all costs. Um, so that's awesome to hear about that. I am realising it is a small world, like you said, Nick, 
because both of you, both you and Dimos just mentioned Stuart Finn. And Stuart Finn is a good friend of NGIS and has been on the podcast before as well. Um, so that was really nice to hear his name. I haven't spoken to him for a while. It got me thinking as well a little bit about what you said before about education and using remote sensing in education. And um, that's something I know he's very passionate about. And I'm sure he'd be very encouraged to hear um, the story and the anecdote you gave before about how remap's being used in education. And in fact, he also introduced us to Karen Joyce. Do you know Karen? Yeah, because I would have thought with the the um, coral mapping that you would have met somehow because I know she was doing some drone mapping and she actually came on the podcast as well. So I think you're all from the similar part of the world as we're at the same university. Is it the same university? Yeah, I, I work with Karen up here at, at James Cook University. Oh, cool. Tell her I said hi. <laughs> she's, um, she's awesome. And I love the work that she does with SheMaps as well. Um, a lot of what she does extends as well into some of the work we do in Indigenous communities, um, doing drone mapping within Indigenous communities. So really cool group of people up there in Townsville. Yep, and a, and a plug for Karen's new project, collecting uh, drone imagery uh, and developing online tools for anyone to be able to upload their drone imagery and um, and, and start to make really cool maps as well. So. Oh, that's yeah, very, awesome. Very exciting times up here at James Cook University. Very cool. Well, guys, I do have a bonus question to give to you. Something that was mentioned before was effectively lobbying Google for more space in Google Earth Engine. I think it was you, Nick, uh, mentioned that. And I think that's really cool. And it got me thinking about features of Google Earth Engine that maybe, you know, I know that it's doing really wonderful things um, for your projects right now, but for both of you, um, and sure. Um, I would imagine that the other 30 projects as well. But if you could change one thing about Google Earth Engine, if there's a feature, maybe a feature that doesn't exist that you wish existed, what would it be? It's a hard one. Knowing there's silence on the other end, it's like, oh God, what could I do? <laughs> um, do you know, I don't, I don't really want that much from Google Earth Engine these just days. Space. It, really has, it has just become a, um, an indispensable tool in my work. And to be honest, I think I've adapted to its limitations to the point where I don't really see them anymore. Um, certainly the, the limitations to the sorts of classifiers that are available to us might be something that I'd, I'd sort of want to see extended. Um, there are a couple of machine learning classifiers in there that you can use, but um, in the academic world of um of statistical classifications there's a there's a lot more um some of them are really good for some problems and some are not so good and so growing that comp component of earth engine would be nice so, so more functions on the um on the classification front and of course I, I always say this is that space is kind of the main thing that we we always wish we want more of you know because we're making global scale maps pretty easy to fill up your asset quota yeah, Google, Google have been awesome over the years for me and, and have basically accommodated any any need that I've had. So I, I don't even really want for that anymore. And how about you, Demos? Would you agree with Nick? Yeah, I would definitely agree with Nick. Google Earth Engine has really revolutionized the world of remote sensing and Earth observation. You know, the fact that you are able within five minutes to, uh, to produce big satellite data mosaics across national and continental scale was unthinkable back 10 years, maybe uh, even six to seven years, I would say, um, where scientists were really struggling with those things. And I would, you know, I don't want to uh, sound non-grateful for Google Earth Engine, but I would agree with Nick on the fact that 
I would really like the, um, the classification side of things in Google Earth Engine to be a bit more uh, friendly, but that's uh, really a large component with the communication that we have with Yvonne and uh, the rest of the EO data science team. And thank you very much, Yvonne, for really streamlining our understanding and lessening this black box um, of Google Earth Engine classifiers. And yeah, we are really into deep learning, um, the deep learning component, and we are finding out that a bit more functionality um, and interoperability between Google Collab um, and Google Earth Engine would be, would be great. But again, that doesn't mean that we are not grateful for the fact that we are, we are having this, uh, this functional uh, cloud platform to really streamline um, not only our science, but increasing the, the impact that we are trying to have into for the, for the coastal environment. Yeah, I think Google, the Google team have always been like, you know, really great and, and receptive to, to things that their users want to have, right? So I think that um, they would listen to this and be really grateful to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, but that is all we have time for on today's podcast. Um, I invite everyone to come off mute now. I know you've been all muting, unmuting, and I'm very grateful. Um, I'll invite you all to come off mute because I just, before we leave, I just want to ask you, um, for anyone that's listening that's interested in hearing about the projects, so um, Nick, Demos, if people want to learn about um, either of your projects and they're listening going, yeah, that sounds really cool, I want to know more, where should they go? You know, What's your website? Um, are you guys most active on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn? Where are the places people can go? Um, for, for me, um, just simply Googling Nick Murray, James Cook University, and, and going to the top couple of results will be the most efficient way of finding finding me. Um, I am on Twitter. I'm, I'm remotely sense on Twitter. Um, they'll, they'll probably the two best ways to, to see the sort of work I'm doing and the, the contributions I'm making to this field. I'm yeah. I'm mostly active in Twitter. Um, we don't have yet um, platform for the project, but anyone that wants to find more about um, the project, about our work, wants to collaborate or share his uh, great data, yeah, feel free to uh, search me in Twitter, uh, Dimos Traganos, and I would be happy to uh, to discuss with, with all of you. I just want to encourage everyone to follow EO Data Science on Twitter as well. We do post um, updates on the projects from time to time, um, and we and also go read um, the GeoGEE blogs to find out more about each of the projects in the program. Um, and lastly, I just want to give a shout out to my colleague Juan as well. He's been doing a lot of the, the trainings and technical support for these projects. Yeah, Juan is awesome. And um, if he's listening to this podcast, Juan, you're going to get your EO Data Science t-shirts in no time at all. He's pretty excited about getting his new t-shirts. Um, Juan, I will give a little shout out to as well. Um, he has put together some really, really useful Google Earth Engine tip videos. There's about 10 of them on a playlist on the EO Data Science YouTube channel. We've shared them on Twitter as well. But if you're just looking for tips and tricks, um, Juan is a really, really great guy to share them with you. And if there's anything you want to know that we haven't covered um, from the EO Data Science um, side of things in terms of our marketing or anything you'd like Juan to, to look at and answer for you, just reach out to our team on from our website just go to the website contact us and we can ask him and maybe he'll put together a video for whatever problem you're having 
but um, that's it for today, guys. I just want to say thank you one more time. I know we've took us a while to get this all locked in with Dimos in Germany and us in Perth here, Yvonne and I, and Nick in Townsville. So I'm just very grateful for that. And if you um, wanted to, you know, look at any of the links um, or resources that were just mentioned, I'm going to include everything on the show notes. So links to all the Twitter profiles, all the websites, everything like that. So just go to ngis.com.au to podcasts and all the links will be there. And if you like listening to Location Matters, don't forget to subscribe. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website ngis.com.au